Hi, I'm Charles Stanton. I'm on the faculty of the Honors College at UNLV and the Boyd School of Law. I'm Lana Weatherald. I'm a third-year law student. And welcome to Social Justice. Social Justice, a conversation. A conversation. Good evening, everybody, and thank you once again for tuning in with us here at Social Justice, a conversation. I'm Lana Weatherald, a third-year law student, joined, as always, by Professor Stanton, a professor at the Boyd School of Law, as well as the UNLV Honors College today. And we would like to wish you, and of course, hope you had a really wonderful Thanksgiving with you, your family, and friends. But today we'd like to talk a little bit about what's going on within the Supreme Court, a little bit about some gun control stuff, a um, little bit about what happened um, once again, circle back um, to the horrible shooting that happened at Club Q, as well as some things going on um, with Nick Fuentes, convictions for seditious conspiracy. We'll talk about all sorts of things tonight. So with that, I would like to pass it over to the professor to open us up and start the conversation. Yes. Thank you, Lana. Thank you so much. Yeah. So uh, the Supreme Court seems to be under a lot of a lot of scrutiny uh, lately, uh, overdue, scru- overdue scrutiny probably as well. Uh, and uh, one of the very fascinating things that's come out of the Hobby Lobby case is the uh, confession by one of the uh, uh, plaintiffs in the case as to how uh, he got an advance uh, copy of the decision uh, a number of weeks before the decision was supposed to be released. Much like, similar to what happened in Dobbs. Uh, Similar to what happened in Dobbs, exactly. But what was very interesting about it was he revealed not merely that they had been given a copy of the decision, but how uh, they had basically a game plan to try to influence the justices. Uh, they have a, apparently an organization uh, that is uh, designed to, I guess, uh, um, they give money to the Supreme Court for upkeep and all kinds of different things. And uh, they have dinners and they have these different functions. Um, but people were basically told to uh, contribute money to the court, uh, get to know the justices, uh, and then from there on to invite them on outings, invite them to their house, uh, you know, maybe a vacation or so, <laughs> right. and, and, cer- and certain things like that, which um, obviously uh, when you are uh, a litigant before the court uh, should never be done. Uh, but unfortunately, apparently, it is something of uh, a common practice. And uh, it's amazing how, uh, you know, Jones Day, of course, the law firm that's appeared before the court many times and has put actually people on the court, uh, uh, there's a whole system that works here. The Federalist Society, uh, uh, Jones Day, uh, these different organizations uh, are, are not passive. Uh, they really have an agenda, and they really want to change uh, America uh, by any means necessary. Yeah, their agenda usually does not include picking the candidates that are best suited for the job based on merit, based on their education, based on their you know history with whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're talking about the figures that end up getting elected to these positions of power that are placed in these positions, they end up being the ones that are the most effective mouthpiece for the agenda that's trying to get through. Um, I think, you know, the professor and I have talked about this many, many shows before, but it's it ends up being the people that are the easiest to manipulate or the people that are 
most likely to just espouse agenda items rather than, you know, affect real change or, or really do what they're um, in that position or elected in that position or placed in that position to do. Um, so, I, yeah, I agree with the professor wholeheartedly. And I think when we talk about what the agenda is, it's placing someone there um, that is just a mouthpiece and not really much more than that. Yeah, I think it's I think it's uh, going on top of what Lana said. I think it's very, very interesting, though, that the the ex-president was unique in my memory as far as any president that, mm-hmm. I, that I understand regarding Supreme Court justices, that he he made a deal with the, the federal society and, 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 and the conservative uh, movement to, to, to gain their support. And in return for gaining their support, they would give him a list of people right. that should be put on the court. And I think that never that's obviously never happened, happened. before. And they had four or five people in particular uh, that they had singled out. And of those four or five people that they had singled out, uh, three of them are now on the court. <laughs> uh, it's very interesting also uh, in that v- regard that one of them was Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, and Brett Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh uh, li- much like Clarence Thomas, uh, was accused of uh, sexual improprieties. And uh, what's been ver- what's very, very fascinating, and this has been going on for a while now, is an attempt to fully unearth what happened with the investigation that wasn't. Right. Uh, the investigation only lasted basically a week. Uh, and, and very little was uh, 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 done to try to find the truth. Uh, the, recent book, uh, the recent book about Ted Kennedy... Uh, goes back to the time when Clarence Thomas had been nominated to the court, and we see again, we see again the same pattern of uh, uh, disinterest. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's fascinating uh, in in the book, of course, is the fact that because of Ted Kennedy's improprieties, uh, beginning with Ch- with Chappaquiddick and then continuing on from that, that he was a relatively mute voice at the uh, Clarence Thomas hearings, and joining him in silence was his uh, co-collaborator, which was Joe Biden, because Joe Biden was the chairman of the committee. And uh, in, that, in that effort, he failed uh, completely, uh, particularly in the sense that they had a number of other women who were ready to testify. Uh, and he, uh, for whatever reason... Uh, chose not to uh, uh, engage in that investigation that the committee could have undertaken. In the case of Kavanaugh, of course, it was given to the FBI, and they were put out like on a one-week time right. limit. Uh, but I, I think they definitely, I think one of the, the things that Biden uh, has, has not done is has not really reevaluated the FBI because in, in so many major things uh, uh, involving not just that investigation, but preparation for the insurrection, uh, the abuse of children, uh, the Larry Nasser case, there's a whole bunch of stuff that they did not do their job. Well, when so many people in one institution are completely nefarious, you'll protect the other nefarious deeds that others do because, right, you don't want your own crap to be unearthed. And I think that uh, is a lot of what we see going on. You know, with the Supreme Court, obviously, you know, I don't think any, any member of our institutions, Senate, Congress, you know, Supreme Court, um, doesn't have men that are doing similar things mm-hmm. to what Brad Kavanaugh wasn't ac- accused of by and large, mm-hmm. right? So I think when we start 
exclaiming how horrendous and wrong those things are, or behavior like what Brett Kavanaugh or what Clarence Thomas or what any of these men espouse and do um, is inappropriate. And we say and we take a hard stance on that and we say no and they do face punishments. Well, then the dominoes start falling or you, at least that's the fear. Right. Mm-hmm. I think among perpetrators or men generally or the boys club generally, mm-hmm. however you want to put yeah. that. Um, so I, I do think, yeah, there's a level of like self-protection and self-preservation mm-hmm. among our elected officials in some way, uh, especially where nefarious, nasty, you know, sexual misdeeds mm-hmm. especially are concerned. Yeah. Um, yeah. As well, unfortunate as it is, it really just is a boys club and you, you protect your own crap. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting because there was a article recently. It was it was entitled The Men of Me Too. Yeah. And it was about all these different men who had been accused by for, multiple women, by or multiple the, you know, the women. faces of that movement. Yeah. Right. And some and some, of course, like uh, like Charlie Rose uh, and Les Monvies at CBS, uh, you know, a, a number of people who, that worked in 60 Minutes. Yep. 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 You know, uh, I mean, 60 Minutes is like a really fascinating story because in 60 Minutes, you had this iconic television program, mm-hmm. the longest running television program in, in history. In right? history. And uh, they they wanted to do this. Uh, they wanted to do this uh, 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 oral biography of, of sixty minutes, and uh, they got a guy to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy, of course, was was uh, was mistaken in what his uh, purpose was. He thought his purpose was to tell the true story, the, of the, 60, the real story, the real of story 60, of sixty yeah. minutes. And they they so so he was removed, and they got another guy who was the producer of the show. And then, so many months later, the guy who was the producer of the show was fired for the same improprieties that, that, w- that were going on, yep. you know. So it's, it's interesting. I, w- I was thinking about it when I was watching uh, The Insider one night, have, you know, having to do with CBS's uh, reveal of the uh, tobacco uh, company's, uh, you know, conspiracy to hide, you know, the idea how poisonous nicotine was, right? And you, you know, you look at these people like like Mike Wallace. Like Mike Wallace was like the ultimate interviewer. Like he was, you know, the gold standard. And then, and then you get into the backgrounds of these people, and you say, you know, you got to really think about who you idolize. Right. You really got to think like three or four times because that person that you see on the screen a lot of times, or, or on radio or whatever, is not is not the person. They're somebody else. You know, and I think what you say is exactly right, though, that there is a um, there is an acceptance of of mistreatment of women. I mean, that I mean, it comes it came out on the bus when he's on the bus, the guy and he says, uh, you know, I do X, Y and And Z, Z, you know, and uh, I think, you know, he says, but it was just locker room talk. But, you know, that's how it's. Yeah, that's that's how how it's quantified. That's how it's. it's, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's. they use women's and I don't want to say real life trauma because a lot of the times women have become so conditioned to believing that this is just what they have to mm. accept and what their life is, that it mm. isn't trauma. But yeah. it is. I mean, at the end of the day, every time someone grabs your ass or grabs your butt, excuse me, <laughs> let me use the correct language. Anytime someone, you know, you just become conditioned to accept those things as your normal everyday life. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, um, when we create those kind of situations and the Brett Kavanaugh's get away with it. But I don't want, you know, you never want to be the woman or to be the one that 
raises those concerns and be and is the scapegoat and is the black sheep. I mean, look at what happened to Brett Kavanaugh's accuser, mm. all the nasty memes that were made yeah. about her, all the nasty, horrible lies and yeah. things that were spread about her yeah. and the safety of yeah. her family became a concern. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, she was uh, well-spoken, legitimate, yeah. and I believe had a very legitimate claim against him. Yeah. And just that wasn't enough for some people. Yeah. Her standing there crying on national television, giving her story wasn't enough for some people. She still had to be vilified. So yeah. when there's no good way to bring about or affect that change anyway. Yeah. Um, well, it's, int- you know, it's interesting because, you know, looking at it, you know, as an outsider in the sense right. that, that I'm not a woman, uh, they have a terrible dilemma. Because on the one hand, seeing what happened to Blasey Ford in the confirmation hearing yep. is certainly a disincentive for anybody to come forward. forward. But if you do come forward, you're not believed. And if you do come forward, profes- uh, 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 probably in many professional capacities, your career is over. Right. They couldn't have yeah. brought out a more, you know, well-spoken, yeah. a more successful, a more, you know. Yeah. So imagine just your everyday girl, yeah, just course. your everyday average. If, if Miss Ford was not believable to the average American yeah. day, but what, what would I be? You know, yeah. so I, I think yeah. Yeah. it's a net loss situation for no, women where no, this is all concerned, no, rather no, unfortunately. It is. So uh, the, the second thing we wanted to talk about today, and uh, I'm going to try to tie these th- two things together and uh, with, with Lana, is uh, the rise in death by gun in our country, that it is, it is the highest in 28 years. And, of course, you know, they throw out all the explanations, you know, it was COVID, you know, all these things. And, 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 and I'm not saying that, that, that some of that doesn't play a part, but... We in our country are awash in guns. If you compare us to any other civilized country on the planet, we lead not not merely in guns, but but deaths by gun by an astronomical amount. And what's interesting about it is that the general public basically is numb to these is numb to these cases. You know why I think some of it is the more I think about it. Mm. So much of, you know, so we're talking about in general, you know, we have the highest death by gun we've seen in 28 years, right? Do you wonder and do you not suppose that maybe that is because we center so much of the narrative around mass shootings rather than interpersonal, Mm. one-on-one homicide type situations? Mm. Mm. Um, We focus so much on these mass killings where someone takes a gun and goes in AR style, but a lot of the gun deaths in this country are just one-on-one individual homicides homicides, yeah. right? Um, so much of that is what's happening on the streets, on the ground, yeah. especially here in Las Vegas. Yeah. Uh, so I think maybe reframing that it could be your neighbor that takes the gun and just kills you doesn't yeah. mean he's going to go shoot up a movie theater. Yeah, sure. But it's if your neighbor has a gun in your house, if your dog walker has a gun in your house, yeah. if the local neighborhood, you know, mm. it, we'll call we'll call him naughty guy has a gun in his yeah. It's just it doesn't necessarily have to be a, this mass yeah. shooter situation yeah. and this mass death that yeah. brings fear or stokes fear yeah. in people where guns are concerned. It could be just because, you know, your scary uncle who uses it to shoot deer yeah. it could be a bad day for him. And then yeah. the gun gets used. Well, you know what I'm it. saying? Yeah. So I think maybe framing it as it is, it could be as close as anybody you know that has a gun could use it to against you, not just yeah. in a mass shooting scary type. Because yeah, yeah. you have to, I think, in this country, and we talk about it all the time, Professor, use fear mongering to sell certain narratives. Yeah, and you have to have people just stoked and satiated with fear in order to get certain things moved in a certain right. way or to get them to move in a certain right. way. And I think it really could be as simple as, hey, we live in a country where your mom could shoot you. 
Yeah, no, you know, isn't no, that a little weird? Uh, no, instead of, you know, it has to be framed as you can't go to the movie theater or churches anymore. It's yeah, like, yeah. no, your mom could shoot you. It's yeah. that scary. It's yeah. that serious. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's a framing issue, too, as well. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. Like, uh, you know, as far as mass shootings are concerned, uh, when they had the situation in uh, New Zealand, of course. Bye. The guns go. It was gone. Goodbye. Was a couple of days. You don't get this anymore. Yeah, you so, didn't play nice. Yeah, so, so, so. What is what is that? Is that part of? Is it so uh, ingrained in the culture that you 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 have to have they, a, a weapon? <laughs> we, and you know the people, the biggest proponents of guns, and I have so many of them that I know. So many of them are in my family. So many of them are friends of mine. And again, I think up until a certain point, right, the right to own a handgun is very different than the right to own an AR-15. Yeah, um, but. They, they do believe it's fundamental to their sense of liberty. Like, if yeah. I don't get to shoot this deer, yeah, yeah. if I don't get to carry this pistol, my yeah. whole life yeah. changes. Like, I no longer feel that sense of Americanism. Yeah. My patriotism is affected by my right to own a yeah. gun. That's how they frame this issue. Yeah. You know, not about, right, like how we've just been discussing yeah. for the past 10 minutes, mom could kill mm-hmm. me or I can't mm-hmm. go to church mm-hmm. or I can't go to the movie theater. Yeah. No, it's framed as my liberty is affected yeah, by no. this gun. And it's yeah, like, no, it's, what? Like, what? No. But that's really how it is for them if no. they can't shoot a bear if they can't feel personally protected yeah. you know, god forbid they get any number of any other weapons that are yeah. available to you as a public yeah. consumer i don't know but yeah. when you frame it as it is my liberty it is my rights it is the thing i do yeah. for fun and my family and yeah. my country yeah. it's harder than it's harder yeah. to argue against that and that's certainly how they yeah i i don't i mean i i, I you know from having been in the justice system uh I, I see it as basically, you know, if you're law enforcement, you need a ha- you can, may, may need right. heavy, heavy weaponry. Uh, right, absolutely. If you're if you're, if you're a, a police officer, what have you, need it. Uh, if you have a gun to protect your home, I can see it. Uh, right. There are certain neighborhoods I've been to outside of Chicago where I would need a handgun in my home. I would feel like that would sure. probably be necessary. It's more I, of the AR-15s, and we've got six or seven of them in a safe along with six rifles. Yeah, along- yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, too, as far as like the hunting, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not into the hunting, but it is part <laughs> of. I mean, I mean, to me. If I'm, you know, if the if I'm not the animal's not bothering me, I'm not gonna bother the animal. I mean, could you imagine if the deer just decided to get up arms and shoot us? Oh, it's sport. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. but there's, there was a in 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 the in the in the Yellowstone series, where the, the, in one of the episodes in the first mm-hmm. or second year, we he takes the young kid out to uh, to exercise his manhood or have you right and put a, yeah by shooting like the, the, an innocent animal, but what. I think it's it, it's inter- it's always struck me as being very interesting that people are given free will, people are given reason, people are given all these things right. that most animals are not given. Right. But the animal, most animals, the largest quantity of animals, even the most ferocious animals, do not kill just to kill. Don't talk. Yeah. You know, if a lion is like a lion's hungry. The lion's looking for some need. Unless provoked. Unless provoked. Exactly. Exactly. They don't kill. It's not for sport. I mean, an animal. There was a great thing, and it was on YouTube four or five months ago. Had to do with a a place in Africa where they had a pride of lions, and uh, into the pride of lions comes a fox. Right. And the fox had, I guess, the fox had some kind of injury, and uh, you know, you think, well, <laughs> this five dinner, right? dinner is here, but. Anyway, well, the male lion 
the male lion comes and he wants to eat the, the fox. fox. The female lion comes over and says, no, 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 no. The fox is coming with me and it's going to be one big happy family. We're going to nurse it back to health. And she nurses. And so you see in, in, in the animal that there is there is that kind of, of uh, wisdom mm-hmm. that you're not, you're not, you don't just kill to kill. And, you know, maybe that's part of the reason that we do see such, you know, I don't just want to say hunting equals people kill people. Yeah. But really, when you're, when you're able to, I think, look, no matter what it is, deer, bear, mm. duck, you know, it doesn't, yeah. I don't, I, when you're able to look something in the eye and take its life away and yeah. watch that life fade from yeah, its yeah, eyes yeah. and we're able to accept that that's okay in a hunting situation, yeah. just en masse as Americans, yeah. I'm not surprised yeah, that yeah. we're a little bit behind on finding it so abhorrent when it's regular people, yeah. when it's actual human beings, because yeah. we're willing to do it without animals yeah. en masse and, and, and say that it's part of becoming a man or yeah. it's part of, you know, team bonding or it's, but whatever yeah. excuse they use to justify yeah. th- their activities. Uh, yeah. I think it is at the end of the day, you're taking away life. You're watching life escape eyes. And yeah. if you're willing to do that and mm. we're willing to allow that at any level, yeah. what does that say? Yeah. I, th- I think there's a definite, I think there's a definite. Because uh, it's not hunting gathering that I think we're talking about. Yeah. I'm not talking about, you know, foragers or people that hunt to feed their family or people that fish to feed their family or people. I'm talking about people that do it en masse for sport, people that spend tens of thousands of dollars going out to yeah, hunting yeah. retreats every yeah. to, to mm. do to just kill. To yeah, just kill. Yeah. It was an interesting story. My, one of my friends told me uh, his dad lives out in Minnesota mm-hmm. and he goes ice fishing. So he's out there. You, right. know, you, you come from the, from the north. The, the north. I come from the north. And it's, and it's, it's you know, one of the customs that they, they, Absolutely. they hunt the fish. Well, one night he comes back to the house and uh, there's five wolves by the house. Oh, I bet there are. Now, the wolf, of course, we have a certain idea of what the wolf is. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway... They leave, and then uh, the guy, you know, he's he's out in the woods. He, you know, he, he's hunting. He's doing all these things. He says, "I'm going to do a little experiment. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, there's five wolves, and I'm going to put out some meat for them in these plates every night, and see what happens." And he puts it out, and the meat is gone. So one night he's coming back, and the wolves are waiting for him by the door. And he says, this is interesting. And they're all like looking at him. Right. Expectantly. Not, yeah, that they don't want to kill him. They just want to get some of the meat. Right. So the animal has that wisdom, though. The right. animal has that wisdom. And, you know, uh, it, it's interesting to think about it. But, you know, the the, the gun thing, uh, I wanted to bring up the road deaths. Now, that's another really interesting thing. Because we in the United States have probably, we probably spend more money on safety on on car on car uh, uh, improvements than any other country in the world, and among the major industrial powers, we alone are the only country where automobile deaths are rising. I think it was between five and seven percent last year, and you know living in living where we live in the city of Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, as you will probably attest. I have I have tweeted out something akin to every day on the roads in Las Vegas, Nevada is do or die. I mean, every single yeah. time I get on the roads here, yeah, I, I, I truly wonder if today is going to be the day. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. No, I mean, it's, it's like people do not care about yeah. their life, about yours, about yeah. their car, about the safety of others, about yeah. infrastructure. They do not yeah. care. Yeah. I mean, and it's it's ranging from people who will go yeah. 15 miles an hour in a 35 to 100 in a 50. Yeah. I mean, and this is I've never experienced anything like what I've experienced in Las Vegas. Vegas, but Florida wasn't much better mm. as far as driver and, and, and just not people not being considerate and stuff. Yeah. But I think it goes back to the things we've discussed. People don't value human lives yeah. anymore yeah. and don't view human life as important yeah. and are very much of the opinion that um, what they do does not and cannot immediately affect others. And even if it does, oh, well, you know, human life is something that's not it doesn't have mm. that same tangible value to other people like mm. it, like I believe it used to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, if I go 100, well, not only did people believe I'm not going to crash into anybody, but uh, so what if I do? You know, yeah. I, I was I was apathy, I, I think, is a huge. Yeah, issue. well, it's it, it's I think it's I think it's three things. Uh, I think there's definitely apathy. That's one thing. I think that. You know, looking at one of the problems in our city, which is homelessness, there's a lack of empathy. But the third thing is our societal illness is indifference. Yeah. People just don't care. Right. You know, I got to get somewhere five minutes Which is more important than whatever. So maybe I'm going to take a shot and I might hit somebody or whatever, but it, it doesn't bother me. And I think that... Um, I think the driving uh, has completely uh, – the point of driving is you have a weapon. Yeah. The car is a weapon just like the gun is a weapon. Right. And right. it's just like a joke. Like people don't take it seriously. Right. And uh, I really wonder – and I don't know if there's any statistics. I don't even know how you could find this out. I wonder how, how many of these people even get their license. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you see them. Well, you know, it, it is interesting. You got you have to pass your driver's test once, once on your sixty, and that's it. That's it, right? Yeah. I mean, that's sort of crazy. And then, yeah. despite you know, a lot of the times you'll suffer major illnesses throughout your life. You'll suffer catastrophic events. You'll yeah. move to different climates, and there don't yeah. you don't retest among any of that situation. So yeah. you know, driving in the Appalachian Mountains is far different than driving mm. out in Florida or driving out here. So I find that you know maybe you don't want to bring more people to the DMV, right? right like right. I'm not trying to advocate yeah. for more business yeah. coming to the DMV, but it is odd to me yeah. that once you do it at 16, well, you're probably good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I I think there should be, especially for people with chronic health conditions, yeah. because so many accidents are caused by people just passing out at the wheel. Yeah, yeah. I think if you've been, if certain amounts of uh, like DUIs, it just should get stripped. And I know a lot of places have legislation like mm. that, but I'm not convinced like after one, you shouldn't be monitored. Yeah. I think when you move to a different climate, especially if you have proof of residency from a state with completely different road rules or completely yeah. different climate, you should be retested. I mean, there are ways to yeah. like yeah. mitigate some, sure. keeping some of these monsters off the road no, that we don't even no, you know well i was thinking i was thinking when i when i used the word indifference like like the guy that was playing for the raiders and he 150 did, or yeah, whatever he was going 180 or something I mean, you, but, you, but there's something there's something and he there. walks right he walks away yeah and his little girlfriend walks away yeah. but this innocent 24 year old girl and her dog blow up yeah well the, the the case the case with the guy who uh killed all the cyclists that's another example. That's another right. example. 
But one of the things that's interesting in, in, in almost all these cases, whether it's the gun or the car or whatever it is, when you, when you actually look at the, uh, uh, the trials that they have, and then, you know, there's very little accountability. It was very interesting, and, and it was very interesting in the Buffalo case, where the guy killed all the people in the supermarket, that the guy, the guy owns up to what he did. Mm-hmm. He said, "Yeah, I killed these people." Uh, and um, you don't have that. You don't have really a person or persons who commit these crimes where there's any acknowledgement of wrongdoing. Right. And uh, that's, that's troubling because some of them do some really horrific stuff, and um, they don't have any stop function. Yep. Any, they just, whatever feels good to do it is what they're going to do. And uh, I think the society, our society... Uh, does not value introspection. Our society is, you know, we go from day to day and, you know, but um, it, it, it's troubling, you know. Uh, the, we wanted to, you know, kick into the Club Q thing. Uh, I've given that a... Yeah, I've given that a lot of thought. What would you like to say about it? You um, know? you know, I, I just think um, when we talk about things like what happened at Club Q, uh, you always want to frame in mind that uh, gun control gets a lot of talk, right? I mean, you and I just spent 10, 15 minutes talking about gun control and the importance of gun control. I want to make sure that we are talking about the importance of protecting, uplifting, and making sure our LGBTQ brothers mm. and sisters are supported at mm. every step. Exactly. Um, because at the end of the day, I don't believe had that been a straight club that that's what have went, mm. would have what have went down that mm. night. I think it would have been a very different situation. Mm. Um, so I think as we're considering and sort of um, processing mm. everything that happened at Club Q as a nation, we need to collectively remember that there are um, voices that mm. I don't, that are going to get muddied in the waters, especially trans voices, right. especially people of color that are trans, people mm. of color that are gay. Um, and I think we need to listen to what they have to say right. about this issue and listen how, how would they feel their safety level is and how we can make them more comfortable in situations like this. Um, because, you know, there's very very little I think we can do in mass right now to create immediate gun control right. change. But what can we do right now to help those people that right. feel so affected? Yeah, exactly. Um, so as yeah. we close out our show, um, I, I realize this is probably a little dark, a little macabre of a show. Um, but I do want to remind everybody that, you know, that sort of is what we're trying to do here is make you a little more comfortable talking to your peers about things mm-hmm. like this and maybe having more tools in your toolbox right. to talk about things like this or issues like this right, with right. your peers. And then remembering when we talk about all these things, whether that be victims of road deaths, victims of gov control victims of the Supreme Court, um, that there are real people that are affected by this and we can talk to those real people and we can ask those real people how they want us to respond. And sometimes that is better um, than forcing our opinions or our thoughts or getting to Twitter and talking about it. It's better to talk to the people on the ground and be a part of the community that is so affected by all the things we talk about here. So. With that, I want to wish you guys a very happy Thursday and a wonderful rest of your weekend. I want to give you guys a reminder, I haven't given it in a couple of weeks, that if you do have any questions or concerns or topics you'd like the professor and I to talk about, go ahead and shoot me an email at wethel one at unlv.nevada.edu, and we'll be sure to get back to you. Thank you so much for listening, and have a wonderful, like I said, weekend again. Thank you so much. Good night now. Thank you for listening to our show. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to contact us at wethel one that's w W-E-T-H-E-L-1 at nevada.unlv.edu or to contact Professor Charles Stanton, contact him at C-H-A-R-L-E-S, that's Charles.Stanton, S-T-A-N-T-O-N at unlv.edu. See you next time.